Stuff Podcasts. A warning, this podcast contains references to subjects and discussions that could be hard for some people to hear, so please take care when you're listening. <laughs> Did you have anything like that? I had nothing like that at school, and I really think if consent had been the base from which I started any kind of exploration, my experience would have been so much different, you know? Queenie, queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, queenie, don't drop the ball. Welcome to Tell Me About It, the podcast where we're always finding excuses to talk about sex. I'm Kirsty Johnston. I'm Michelle Duff. And I'm Noelle McCarthy. Yes, I'm excited about this. It's an enthusiastic yes from me. Noelle, this is your guest today. And so what are we talking about? (laughs) I love your enthusiastic yes, Michelle. It is very much on topic. Yeah, so (laughs) I'm bringing the guest today and um, she's actually my neighbour. She's my neighbour, Lily. And I've really been wanting to interview Lily for ages because I'm constantly having these fascinating chats with her when I see her during the day because Lily works as a consent educator, which means, as you both know, she goes into schools and she talks to teenagers and teaches them about what yes and no means in the context of intimacy. So that's the sort of polite way of talking about everything from sort of kissing to touching, fingering, sex, whatever, all of that stuff. She's She educates them about consent in that context. I'm so glad we're talking about this. I'm so obsessed with how sex fits into our culture in New Zealand, partly because we still seem to be so repressed about it, even though it's like 2022. I'm probably going to blame my, you know, Presbyterian ancestors for that partly. Um, But also because like we as reporters see the consequences of like not having a good understanding of consent all the time in our work on sexual violence, eh, Michelle? Yeah, it is at the crux of everything we do really, eh? You know, when you think about rape culture, which is sort of that, you know, pyramid that goes from someone walking down the street and being wolf-whistled at to, you know, someone being violently raped, that's kind of a sliding scale which covers all these little things that um, behaviours on their own that don't look harmful but that all kind of serve to trivialise and normalise rape. And that's kind of a lot of the work that we do looks at that, I reckon. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, when you zoom out and you look at all those behaviours, like you say, Michelle, as a macro, because basically all of those things from getting catcalled to, you know, being violently sexually assaulted, all of these things involve someone doing something to you and your body that you don't want them to do. Yeah, and that you haven't asked for, you know, a lot of the time. And it's, it's, so insidious and I think that uh people listening will you know identify with with this some some of you maybe you know study after study have shown that uh women have been raped and don't even perceive it that way at the time um it's an experience that you know women put down to just being bad sex Mm, I think we can identify I mean that's a whole other episode isn't it like was it just bad sex or was it an assault 
you know, I think we, we're probably not going to solve that today. We're definitely not going to solve that. Are we not? <laughs> no, unfortunately, we're not going to solve that in the next 30 minutes. But I think we probably need to circle back around to this. And I think we probably need to hear more from our listeners as well. So if you have a story and you want to hear an episode about this, about sort of bad sex and where it sits on the continuum of assault, you can DM us. DM us on our Tell Me About It Instagram, which is at Tell Me About It Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. I think, like, coming back to consent, the major reason it's still a problem is both because, you know, the general societal, you know, conditions that Michelle was talking about, but also because kids aren't really taught about it in any consistent or meaningful way. It's not like in Australia where they're about to make consent education compulsory. I mean, I think when I was at school, we didn't even learn about consent at all. We just kind of had this one weird house teacher that talked us a lot about masturbation (laughs) (laughs) totally agree like I went to Catholic school and what we were taught was about the sacred union of man and wife like that was about the size of it I think I was about 35 when I got a grasp on sort of you know not only that consent is needful and necessary thing but also the intricacies of it you know like that you can consent to one thing but not another you can revoke your consent at any times that you know you can and should both partners should be looking for that like it wasn't part of my upbringing at all I didn't know anything about it what about you Michelle Uh, I mean just listening to that it's so sad uh and frustrating that you would have to be, you know, in your mid-30s before you, uh, you know, are able to reflect back on that and sort of fully understand what consent means. I, you know, what I really would have liked to have known when I was a teenager is that I didn't have to go along with things that I didn't like just because it felt too hard to say no. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. You know, I had... I had so many bad sexual experiences that in hindsight, a lot of them I didn't consent to. And, you know, I'd like to think that's changed now, but has it? Do you know, I think, and this is what makes me sad, I think, I hope we're not going to be like totally sad this whole episode and just sort of weeping for our our adolescences. But, you know, I feel no one in my friend group, none of us even expected the experiences to be good like there was no sense that you were looking forward to a fun time or that you'd have an orgasm or anything like that you know there was no pleasure sort of anticipated which feels so bloody sad in retrospect I mean I did have one friend who told me told me in great detail how to have an orgasm when I was about 16 and I really appreciated that I feel like that was kind of one out of the box though (laughs) Yeah, that definitely wasn't my experience. It was like, oh, you went out with him? Oh, did you get, like, where did you get to? Did you get to first base? Did you get to second base? Like, I don't know. Hang on, what are the bases? I never could, I get, this gives me an awful lot of anxiety because I think everyone's bases are different. And if you're sort of, you know, working from one to four, can you, can you clarify, Kirsty? Like, what were the bases? I really can't. I mean, I've just, yeah, we, like, (laughs) where's dry humping on the speech? I don't know. Would it be two? masturbation? Can you not use that term? I'm sorry. I know. I hate it, but it's, yeah, it just really brings that um, that mental image. Anyway, moving on. We, it takes a lot of the magic out of it. Talk about, 
Sorry. Anyway, yeah. People didn't talk about bases where I was from, but I think that was just because everyone went straight to fourth. <laughs> is fourth the is fourth the like the full show the the whole thing? Yes, no, well, that's the home. Run. Glad we've got that. Anyway, one thing I'm really interested in, to be honest, though, is what Lily is going to say about porn, like how that has changed sex and like expectations around sex. I mean, what you have access to now is so hardcore. All these kids see is like violent degrading sex with choking and like incest i mean like i'm not even joking the most searched thing on Pornhub, i think last year was like step sibling porn i sorry i just can't even <laughs> what I, I didn't even know that was a thing that you could search um on the internet yeah i it's just weird like, sheltered. <laughs> sheltered from fielding rights <laughs> Show totally like vanilla sex, like all the way. Jeez, I, you know, what we had to contend with when we were teenagers is just nothing like that. Eh? You know, we literally had like Playboy mags and MSN Messenger. That's it. Yeah, the environment that young kids now, kids, listen to me, I'm ancient. <laughs> teenagers now is just so much more complex. And, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm just interested in our society in general. It's got such a permissive attitude towards rape. So how is sex education, like consent education, going to be able to change it? Mm, That's a good question. All right, so I interviewed Lily, and the night before I interviewed Lily, I watched Euphoria for the first time. So I was pretty shook. I mean, talking about nudes, I think there's a line in in episode one of Euphoria where they talk about nudes being your currency, you know, like your sexual currency, the thing you exchange. And um, so that was very much in the front of my mind when I was talking to Lily. So she teaches a consent program, right, that runs for five to six weeks in schools. And it starts for 13-year-olds. And she was saying to me that, like, the best case scenario is that schools would run this program from year nine to year 13 for each class and build on it every year. But Lily was saying that doesn't actually often happen because of timetabling clashes and constraints that the school has. So basically what she ends up doing is mostly teaching years nine, 10, and sometimes year 11. And what we talked about, you're going to hear her talking about what it's like talking to a bunch of teenagers you've never met before about sex and consent and the challenges of that and the bits of that that are magic. And also, and I think this is the gold, right? What she's hearing from teenagers, what they're worried about, all of their questions. And that's the bit that's really eye-opening. Lily is super thoughtful about how she does this work. So I started off by asking her if she can assume that the kids she's meeting for every course, you know, when she starts teaching the consent course, know anything about consent to begin with. And also what the atmosphere is like when you're getting started with the course. So here's Lily and she's talking about teaching consent to teenagers in schools. Each school is quite different, which is interesting, but there have been classes where um, the majority of students haven't heard of the term consent. Yeah, it's it really varies. And there's always usually, there are sort of trends that emerge in schools and in different years and in different classes. And I think it's really important to sort of remain open to those. And that's where we get lots of growth and important conversation. So what sort of trends? Trends like 
harmful behaviours, which might be self-harm, suicide, ideation, anxiety, how to deal with that, or it might be about anal sex or, you know, things that pertain specifically to their sexual experiences. Interesting. So all of this stuff is sort of the um, the atmosphere in which you're coming in and, and that can change from time to time, but sometimes you'll go into somewhere new and you don't know what the atmosphere is going to be before you start. Definitely, all the time. You just don't know what the atmosphere is going to be and it's always awkward. Like yeah. walking in, the, the kids generally think it's sex ed and you walk in and they're kind of resistant, although desperate as well to talk about it. But the first, um, the first session is always really awkward and you're trying to check the vibe and, um, you know, the atmosphere is... I guess, I don't know, they're, they're kind of resisting giving too much to you. But, you know, I try to facilitate rather than teaching or delivering exactly um, to try and form relationships with the kids and thereby the atmosphere grows and we can, you know, mm. it does grow and it gets better as the as the course goes on. So if, so if you're in front of a class of 13-year-olds who may not ever have heard of consent before... How do you explain it? Well, I mean, it's not it's not tricky, but it's always horrifying to be confronted with that because um, these are kids who obviously have no, um, they often don't have relationships with any kind of responsible adult, you know, the parent, caregiver, teacher, you know, they're completely bereft of these important relationships. Um, how do I explain it? It's knowing what you want and how to ask for it and also how to find out what others want. And we talk about it specifically within um, situations of intimacy, basically how to make sure you're doing the right thing and that both parties are enthusiastic and engaged. I'm just thinking I never had anything like that at school. Did you have anything like that (laughs) at school? I had nothing like that at school and I really think if consent had been the base from which I started any kind of exploration, my experience would have been so much different, you know. And broadly speaking, I know every class would be different and every school is different, but are the teenagers that you work with when you introduce this concept of sort of enthusiastic consent, are they surprised or are they um, are they excited by the idea or are they intimidated by it or what are the responses like? I think... I don't know. I think in part, like, theoretically, philosophically, they're totally onto it, you know. They're up with it. Teenagers these days, they're really woke. They're capable of discussing these kinds of concepts. But um, realistically and practically speaking, I think it is quite intimidating to understand what that means and how to do it. Mm. So uh, do you get technical? Like, do you talk about kissing and touching? And Yeah, I, I get so technical. <laughs> How do you do it? Do you have like, uh, you know, I think the banana is the one that lots of oh, people remember. Everyone's desperate for. They want the banana. Um, but I don't give the banana. <laughs> I don't do the banana. You don't bring a banana. Nah, because it's not sex ed, you know. It's about consent and health, healthy relationships. But um where it gets technical is we have a um, an anonymous question box where the, where they can ask an anonymous question and um, they ask it at the end of one class and then I'll go and um, you know think about research, find out the answers and come back and present them at the start of the next class. 
and that's where all the questions about sort of um, the intricacies of intimacy come out um, and that's where we get technical uh, and it can be as basic as um, how do I ask someone if I want to kiss them to yeah to you know any manner of things further on than that do they ask you if things are okay you know do they check things out um yeah I mean they ask like sometimes they ask um is it okay to ask my partner if she wants to have sex, for example? Or is it okay to make a comment about my girlfriend's ass? Or is it okay to give someone a compliment about their body when I'm asking them out? You know, they, they're asking. It's a lot of responsibility things. for you, <laughs> is it? So, you know, you're looking at this little pile of post-its or whatever it is. Um, it, is uh, it is in a way, but really I just try and facilitate conversation. So it all comes back to um, a big part of what I try and do is teach them how to communicate respectfully to each other um, and with themselves, really. And, you know, it comes back to um, being respectful and communicating uh, assertively so then asking them, like, how would we, how would you address this? What do, what do we think about this? I mean, you have to be careful because obviously they're not trauma-informed or you have to be really careful that they're not going to be body-shaming or victim-blaming in their conversations. But again, that's sort of part of the facilitation. Wow, you have to be pretty deft. So, like, you have to be a few steps ahead in terms of seeing where something could go. Yeah, I think you can get a feeling pretty quickly um, in a class that might have something of a rape culture thriving. You know, I think you Ooh. get. Uh, What's that like? I oh, mean, how do, how do you assess that? How do you know? Oh, uh, you know, because when you walk in, they're making stupid jokes about consent or rape or, you know, it's this um, so called locker room chit chat that's actually, you know, it's harmful. Is this boys' schools? Or? Yeah, it is. It is, yeah. Because you do it in lots of different schools. like Yeah, I do. And... I do it in um, all types of schools. Um, and it's quite different between the single sex and the co-ed, yeah. What about, like, you talked about that atmosphere. What about porn? Mm. Because, you know, we hear so much about the sort of pornification of culture and how that's affecting how young people in particular are sexually active. What do you think? I think it definitely is affecting um, some young people and how they're sexually active, and I think it's doing something towards to affect the culture of sex and sexuality. But I don't think it's probably as pervasive as we, um, who are not of that generation, think. You mm. know, I think it's important. It's kind of terrifying. Yeah, if you didn't grow up with it, I mean, I look at that now and even watching you know an episode of euphoria or something mm. and thinking shit women are really being objectified in a way that but maybe we were always being objectified mm. in different ways I don't know you, you know when you talk about rape culture in classrooms is that part of it is that sort of porn aesthetic or expectations yeah I think so I think in a way it is you know there is like a hyper femininity and hyper masculinity that's presented in most mainstream porn and those kinds of stereotypes are really dangerous um, when we're thinking about consent because, you know, people might have an expectation of what someone will do because of the way they look 
or they might have an expectation of where things will naturally go because of something they're doing, you know, from watching porn. A lot of the situations that they're watching are non-consensual. Often it's, you know, they're really heteronormative and it's often the man who's um, in a control of seeking pleasure and getting it and, and getting it and usually not wearing a condom and the woman's role is usually, you know, being demeaned in some way. So um, also they present this really unrealistic body image and so um, I always, you know, I always, uh, but it's important to be realistic. They're watching porn. So, you know, I talk about um, just having this awareness that it's not imitating reality, you know. It's not a realistic indication of what to expect. Again, generalizing, are there different challenges you think for different, you know, for different genders? For, is it a different challenge to grasp certain concepts or enact certain concepts for boys and for girls and a different challenge again for kids who identify as non-binary, you know, is this stuff, yeah, is this stuff gendered? Yeah, I think there are definitely different challenges um, just from what I've seen in the classroom and the kinds of things that we talk about, the kinds of questions I get, um, the girls um, are often centred around um, social interactions, concerns about that, anxieties about um, whether they're, you know, doing the right thing, making the right moves, whether they can um, get with so-and-so because they were with someone else before, all of that kind of, you know, that horrible social stuff that I remember. And it gets it gets pretty toxic and there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of worry about the impact that they're having within their relationships, their friend relationships. And then with with boys, I mean, they're still mainly concerned about their dick size. <laughs> oh, bless that hasn't changed. Do you get that in the questions? We get it just constantly. Just really? Always like, Come is off. it too big? Is it too little? Why isn't it growing? Is it um, too crooked or not crooked enough? Or, you know, why don't I have erections? Or why do I always have erections? Why does it hurt? Why do I, What are, you know, what is yeah. all, all of it? <laughs> Just all of it, all, all of, of it. it, relating to that area. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's sort of physical stuff because it feels like you're sort of at the cold face, you know, a lot of work around sexual violence and intimate partner violence in New Zealand. You know, the the what's coming out of that is the realisation that, you know, we need to focus on boys in the culture and we need to focus on getting the right message about consent, you know, making sure that that's understood. Do you feel like that's happening? Do you think that is coming coming through? Um, yeah, I think there could be, I think there needs to be quite a bit more work around that. I think the consent program that I facilitate is, um, I mean, although we talk about consent in a general term and consent is the same for anyone, no matter, you know, no matter who they are, or what situation they're in, um, I think the program can quickly become quite heteronormative and then there's a misconception that it's always um, boys predating on girls. Girls, yeah. Um, and whilst the statistics um, 
to support that largely, you know, it's I don't think it's a helpful discussion really. I think there's been I have noticed quite a bit of kickback from in boys' schools. Not all men, you know, not Is that all what men. they what do they say to you? They, you know, there's an indignation, there's a sense of like righteousness and they might, you know, you were saying, what's it like walking into a classroom in some classes? When I walk in, they, um, you know, that's the first thing they want to tell me is how the law is um, stacked against them, you know, and I find it really hard to accommodate that. <laughs> what do they mean the law? Like, like I don't know, they want to give me like um, teen scenarios about how, what if this and what if that? <laughs> what if I have sex with someone and then the next and day? And the next day, um, that sort of she thing. decides that it wasn't consensual, you know. But obviously, I mean, I'm I'm not going to get into individual mm. scenarios like that. But so it comes back to the to consent, you know. Um, Do you get pushback against the idea of consent ever, or really strong misconceptions about it? I think uh, the idea of consent, not so much, but maybe like the law. Like they really want to pick the law apart and the idea around drinking, you know, whether you can give Mm. consent when you're, I mean, you can't give consent when you're drunk or, you know, impaired by drugs or alcohol. Um, But again, I take a... Does that render a lot of the work that you're doing sort of problematic anyway or theoretical? Yeah, I think so. I think it does, um, which is why I take a harm reduction approach. Like we know they're drinking, we know they're watching, accessing illegal porn, we all know that they're sending nudes, um, you know, all of the stuff which is illegal by definition of law, but it's still happening. So we talk a lot about um, how to recognise, you know, when how drunk you are when you're too drunk um, and we talk a lot about bystander intervention, you know, how to, how to be a good friend or even doesn't even have to be a friend how to how to act when you see something when things go wrong and look out for each other yeah I always like to let them know that you know sex or any kind of intimacy and relationships is the most enjoyable the more connected you are you know when you're when you're conscious when you're aware when you're both there you're both communicating you know consent is sexy that's when that's when you have a really good time that's Lily, my neighbour in the Wairarapa and also a consent educator. Consent is sexy. (laughs) Do you think that message has much of a hope of getting through or what do you think having listened to Lily? What did you think, Michelle? So one of my biggest fears is that my sons will be rapists. Okay, it is actually something that keeps me up at night. And I am a feminist and I try and reiterate to them the importance of consent even in small things right like um you know asking before they touch someone you know or or whatever it is but I feel like it doesn't really matter and at some point it doesn't really matter what I say and do if there's a whole bunch of boys who are sort of egging each other on and joking about you know having sex with drunk women and that kind of thing how much can you even do as a parent I think you can do a lot, you know, I think you can do a lot because you're the one who, ha- like, I'm not just trying to reassure you because I, my heart goes out to you when you say that. I'm like, oh my God, you know, that's such a visceral fear. But I think you can because I think that's where we learn our first lessons, isn't it? You know, and peer, I'm not saying peer pressure isn't a real thing. But I think if you've been brought up to respect and value 
women and relationships and consent and all those things, it's harder to get dragged along, isn't it? I think one of the most important things she was saying she teaches about the bystander intervention because I wrote a piece mm. um, last year about boys and, like, the messages they absorb and stuff. And one of the really interesting things um, the researchers were telling me about was how, like, lots of men and maybe boys assume that other men think in this way that's like derogatory towards women so if one of their mates makes like a you know dodgy joke none of them be like bro that's not cool because they assume all the other guys in the group also think it's funny but it's not true like most of them are also thinking god that was off color so I feel like if you Michelle or like Lily or someone can get them to say that's not cool that's like a massive change. Do you know what's quite interesting is you know how a, a lot of times where there's, you know, someone will be, have been raped and someone will be like, well, why didn't you just say no? Saying no is actually a really hard thing to do socially. Look, I guess one more thing to bring up that like, she's only in there for five weeks. You know, like this is not an ongoing thing in New Zealand schools, right? And it's totally up to the schools at the moment. It's not like you were talking about Australia, Kirsty, where it's now going to be compulsory to have this education, but this isn't happening here, right? No, I think like even sex education, not consent education, is just like so variable in New Zealand because it's all down to like what an individual school chooses to do. And they're supposed to survey like every two years from their community and blah, blah, blah. But I think, you know, everyone knows that that's not an ideal situation. So, yeah, ideally we would get something more rigorous, I guess, and hopefully that would address some of these issues. Fingers bloody crossed. Um, yeah, thank you both. We'll be back next week, probably not talking about sex, probably talking about something slightly different, but we are going to keep talking about these issues. So if you've got I something... we are talking about. Yeah, of course we are. Yeah. yeah. Do we say thank you to Lily? I said thank you very briefly, but I think she'd appreciate your thanks as well. So, um, yeah, thanks to Lily. Maybe you could, are you going to, maybe you just drop some muffins over the fence or something? I mean, I'm sure you've got heaps of time to just do a bit of baking, do you, Noelle? Just whip up a batch of muff muffins. She actually makes a great banana cake herself. So the bar is set very high. She makes an excellent <laughs> banana cake and an excellent sort of plum cake. So I might just have to buy her some expensive chocolate or something. I can't compete. Thank you, Lily. Thanks for being a great neighbour and a great educator. <laughs> We'll see you next week. See you all next week. Kakiti. Tell Me About It is made for stuff by Bird of Paradise Productions. It was produced by me, Noelle McCarthy, and written by me, Kirsty Johnston, and Michelle Duff. Our script supervisor is Eugene Bingham, and thanks to Janine Fenwick and Eugene for editorial oversight. Mixed by Mark Chesterman. And our theme tune is Queenie Queenie by Tammy Nielsen, our queen. You can like the podcast and leave a review on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell Me About It is made possible by funding from New Zealand On Air. Queenie Queenie don't drop the ball. Queenie Queenie don't drop the ball. Queenie Queenie don't drop the ball. Down come baby cradling on. Queenie Queenie.